You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to our sixth episode on the sacraments, where we'll look at the new understanding of the sacrament of penance, or as it's most commonly referred to in most churches today as reconciliation. To do that, we're going to take a step back and see how much of the hierarchy in the church today sees sin differently. Or if they don't see sin differently, there's definitely a different emphasis. Then we'll see how that impacts the sacrament of penance. We'll also take a moment to see how the rite has changed, perhaps most strikingly in its physicality, that is, where is the priest and where is the penitent? And finally, Father will give some advice on how to get more people today to take advantage of the great sacrament of penance. As we move forward in this series, we're looking for help. If you like these series and want to have more of them, you can help us by leaving a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, and you can share it with someone who you think would like it, appreciate it, or maybe they just need it. That's the best way to help us because you're helping us with this apostolate to reach as many people as possible with the beauty and the truth of what it means to be a traditional Catholic. Now, let's join Father Sherry for episode six of the sacraments right now. Father Sherry, thank you for joining us again today for this second episode on the sacrament of penance. Uh, last week it was snowy and our connection was a little bit, a little bit hairy, but uh, things are a little bit better today, it seems like. Yes, we, we have a very, very beautiful uh, sunshine today, so uh, hopefully oh, everything will go well. Very good. Well, Father, um, last time we went through we went through the sacrament of penance, we looked at sin, we looked at the necessity of penance, we looked at all of those things. Today we're looking at the, um, the new rite of penance, of reconciliation, as the Church calls it today. Um, where would you like to start in this discussion, Father? Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, for having me back for this uh, second discussion. So I thought we might start this week by looking at the difference in the way that Catholics and the, let's say, the the official church uh, looks at sin. So we saw last week that what sin is, is is a disobedience against God's law. Um, and we saw that a mortal sin is something which, in fact, severs us from God because it entails the loss of sanctifying grace, which is what uh, unites us uh, to God. And in the church since 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 Vatican II, you can say, uh, there's been a definite loss of the sense of sin, uh, whereby we see in practice that Catholics tend to have uh, changed their ideas of what sin is and what sin does. And this uh, has meant that, in fact, the sacrament of penance has gone from being something which was frequently used and frequently encouraged to be used by Catholics to something which has, well, not completely, but has very much fallen out of use among Catholics. And... uh, I'm wondering, you know, what is the reason for this loss of the sense of sin? And I think there's there's a couple of things there. Uh, first of all, there's the uh, the sort of great uh, outcome of Vatican II, which was that well, the Catholic Church is uh, is the true Church in a certain sense, or the the true Church uh, subsists in the Catholic Church, but there are also uh, other sort of means of salvation, so uh, even outside of Christ. Now, uh, clearly, this is not 
literally said in in the council that uh, you know that's fine. Every every religion is 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 okay. Every religion is uh, is equal in that sense. But there are uh, let's say ambiguous at least uh, things in the council which uh, lead uh, people to believe. Well, you know my my Protestant uh, neighbor. He's you know he's just as good as I am. Which let's say morally speaking, uh, it it is true that any any person uh, we can look at and say well. I cannot see his heart, therefore I can't sort of judge and say, well, he's worse than I am. And that's true in that sense. But in the reality, it is that the Catholic Church is the one true church uh, because it was founded by our Lord Jesus Christ and is in fact the mystical body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all who are outside of the Catholic Church may be trying their best, in which case God will certainly lead them to faith in Christ and to membership of the Catholic Church, whether that be by baptism of water, blood, or desire. Um, but in their in their false religion, they do not have the truth and they uh, may not have the sacraments. I say may not have the sacraments because, of course, there are valid sacraments uh, outside of the Catholic Church in uh, Protestant denominations such as baptism in, in itself, baptism, marriage, in the orthodox uh, so-called churches where there may indeed uh, and is in fact there is in fact the valid uh, mass. Uh, these these sacraments may well exist, but the, uh, the, the 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 truth and the unity of the Catholic Church has been uh, has been lost. And so, uh, this this has fed into the idea among Catholics. Well, actually, you know, it doesn't doesn't really matter all of all that much. Uh, everybody's pretty much making their way to heaven, and uh, therefore, you know, sin is not that big a deal. And uh, we see that in the catechism, which is which is uh, being taught to children uh, all over the world, um, taught or sort of thought taught to children all over the world, there's almost very little instruction on the, the nature of sin, on the nature of mortal sin, on what happens to those who die in the state of mortal sin, and on the sacrament of penance. Uh, I myself uh, attended a Novus Ordo Catholic school uh, for, for you know, 12, 13 years, and uh, we had the experience there of what actually was passed on in terms of sin and the sacrament of penance. So every, every once in a while, uh, the priest would come into the school and then everybody would go to confession. And I remember when I was in high school, my classmates, you know, laughing and joking among themselves as to, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to make up to tell the priest? There was not a, a sense of of real sin, and right. there was no instruction as to what sin was or what sins should be confessed. Um, I remember my sisters went to a, a convent school uh, run by the uh, the Order of Our Lady of Loreto, and sim similar thing happened. The, the priest came in, and the the girls were all instructed that they should go and tell one sin in confession. 
And so uh, my sisters came home and uh, told this to my mother, who, who uh, called up the Reverend Mother and said, uh, Reverend Mother, what would happen if a girl, you know, by hypothesis, had two mortal sins to confess? Right. To which the Reverend Mother replied, oh, we don't talk to the girls about mortal sin. We don't want to frighten them. And uh, this is anecdotal, but it's, it's a reality, is that there's almost no sense of what sin is, what mortal sin is, and what the sacrament of penance should do. And this has been also accompanied by a sort of a change of emphasis in the actual rite of the sacrament of penance. Um, the key to really understanding, in my opinion, the changes in the sacraments was what was said by Archbishop Bonini regarding the change in the Mass. It is that the intention was to remove from the Mass anything which was the shadow of a stumbling block for our separated brethren. In other words, we want to uh, remove and, you know, let's say water down those things which the Reformed sects uh, find to be objectionable. So in the Mass... That was the notion of sacrifice and the notion of the real presence of our Lord, and therefore those things uh, were watered down. In the sacrament of penance, it's the idea that actually it is the priest, the man, who forgives you your sins because you go and mechanically, in a way, now clearly, as we saw last week, it's not enough to just confess your sins, but in a sense, it's mechanical that you confess your sins and the priest gives you absolution if he judges you to be worthy, if he judges you to be uh, sorry for your sins. And in the new rite, we first of all got a change in the name of the sacrament. So just like uh, the sacrament of extreme unction uh, was renamed as the sacrament of the sick, so also the sacrament of penance was renamed the sacrament of reconciliation. Now... You can say that uh, some uh, reconciliation can be penance. Uh, for example, if I am in the state of mortal sin, God forbid, and I go to confession and I confess my sins and I'm forgiven, then I am indeed reconciled with God. However, not uh, all reconciliation necessarily involves penance because let's face it, uh, you know, in today's day and age, uh, one of the ways that uh, pressure is being put on people, let's say, stuck in the past, is say, well, you've got to accept the change in society, accept the change in the way that people behave. And let's imagine that your son or daughter, quote unquote, comes out as gay. Well, you should accept that and be reconciled mm -hmm. to that. And that's a different type of reconciliation. Um you see how I'm not saying that that's what the sacrament of reconciliation means, that you just accept sin, but it, 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 it makes it more ambiguous. And right. so you could say, well, a reconciliation uh, with God could also be God simply saying, well, in, in a Protestant sense, okay, I know you can't help sinning and uh, there's, nothing we, there's nothing that can really be done about that, but uh, I'm going to, to accept you as you are. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's what the idea which has got into people's minds. Again, anecdotal uh, examples of people who go to confession, to, to priests, let's say, who are uh, 
ordained in the in the Novus Ordo or have that mentality at least, because of course there are priests who are in the Novus Ordo who do have a traditional mentality towards the sacrament of penance. Um, I would say that they're probably in the minority, but they do exist. But uh, anecdotal example, somebody confesses a sin. Oh, that's not a sin. Uh, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, that's, uh, you know, you can't help that. Uh, it's, 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 you know, normal for you. You've uh, been abandoned by your first wife, so you found a second relationship. What can you do? And, uh, and this uh, has led to, a, to again, as, as well, to a, a certain acceptance of sin, you know. Uh, this is the way that things are now. Uh, I remember an old lady who was a neighbor of ours saying things such as, well, I remember when that used to be a sin, uh, but now things have changed. And you see what happens there is not so much that the, the theory has changed. The theory uh, exists still that uh, mortal sin is what condemns you to hell, uh, but the theory is not known and the practice has changed. Uh, going back to my school days again, I remember uh, a visiting priest who uh, was a, was an older man. He was probably in his 70s. And I, I remember him asking us, well, what sort of sin is it if you, uh, if you deliberately miss mass on Sundays? And nobody had any idea. Uh, nobody knew that this was a mortal sin. And he said, yeah, did you know that's a mortal sin? And everybody was, was sort of shocked saying, well, what's a mortal sin? <laughs> and uh, it, it's you know I'm 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 laughing at the sort of you know unbelievable nature of it, but of course right. it's not at all funny. It is that uh, sin is the one obstacle which stops us from achieving our goal, the goal of life, which is to know, love, and serve God, to be un unified with God, and it's it's sort of fallen out of favor, and that's led to all sorts of of practical consequences in the way that the sacrament of penance is used. Okay. So that's, that's the way that sin, sin is seen. Um, I almost said that's the way sin is today, but that's, that's not it at all. Uh, that's the way sin is seen, uh, today. You know, the sacrament of, of penance, like you said, it looks different. Um, I, I've grown up in a traditional Catholic family and right near a traditional Catholic church my entire life. Um, I was away from a traditional Catholic church for a time during college. And so I went to confession at a Novus Ordo church um, and it was very different and it's probably different in all different churches. Um, but there were two chairs there instead of a kneeler and father sitting in a chair. There was, it was a conversation. I guess we'll get into that, but it's striking how much it has changed. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's, let's look at it in two parts because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, stories, let's say, uh, or experience which you have, uh, obviously, and which, which I have as well from, from growing up, let's say, in the Novus Ordo, and from, you know, just hearing from, from lots of people. Um, let's look at the, the actual, let's say, uh, rite of the sacrament, which was changed in the early 1970s. Okay. So um, what is the change here? Well, the thing about the sacrament of penance is that the, the matter and form, so um, what it is that makes the sacrament, you've, we've already seen that in baptism, for example, the matter and form are the, the water and the words uh, said by the minister. So in the sacrament of penance, the matter 
is referred to as a quasi-matter, and that's the sins. Okay, if our Blessed Mother uh, were to go to confession, bit of theology fiction here, uh, the answer is she couldn't because uh, she did not have any sins to confess. So she was uh, the most humble of uh, of uh, women, but her humility did not extend to lies because that's of course a form of pride. And so she couldn't say, "Bless me, Father, for I have sinned." She ha- she hasn't sinned, and she she thanks God for that. Uh, that he has regarded the humility of his handmaid. But for the rest of, of, of mortals, uh, we can all, uh, a- after we reach the use of reason, uh, we can all go to confession and say, Father, I have sinned. And this is the, the matter of, of, of the sacrament. And then the form, that is, which, which uh, actually uh, operates the sacrament, is the priest absolving. And in fact, it is sufficient for the priest to say, I absolve you from your sins. Okay? And so this, this is what happens, of course, in, in cases where there's a, a very short uh, period of time. I remember one time uh, being called to uh, uh, a man who had actually died already before I arrived. Um, he was in, a, in hospital. And when I got there, I got into a, an argument with the hospital about saying, can I see him even though he's dead? Uh, because I still have the window after someone one dies be- before the soul will actually leave the body. So you've got a window of approximately two hours, the, uh, the, the moral theologians say, or maybe four hours in the case of a sudden death, where you can still go and give conditional absolution and even conditional uh, extreme unction to that person. So after uh, uh, the providential uh, intervention of a Filipina nurse who was a Catholic and who believed me when I said that there's still time, uh, I was able to go to the morgue and I was able to uh, give conditional absolution to this man. And so what do you say in that case? Well, you keep it very, very simple. You say, I absolve you from all censures and sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that's it. There's, uh, there's nothing else you can do. That's the, the great uh, reality that, you know, this is not sort of simply something symbolic. Okay, that's the, the great uh, sort of argument of the modernists is sacraments are symbols. Uh, right. They're something which talk to our faith and which express our faith, but they're not real. They're not actually operating uh, something supernatural. Uh, whereas in reality, the church knows that they are real, that a sacrament is a sign, but it's a sign which confers grace. And um, this, is, this is sufficient for the uh, sacrament of penance. Now, the good news is, uh, for, for, for those who have been frequenting uh, confession in the Novus Ordo Church, is that that essential form, I absolve you from your sins, is still there. So it has not been uh, removed. However, all of the things surrounding it, a bit like you might say in the Mass, all of the things surrounding it have been changed and watered down or made more ambiguous. So uh, if you look at all of the uh, formulas which have been changed, in the traditional formula, you could fit the, uh, you could fit the actual formula for confession on the back of an index card like this. In fact, you, you might see that in confessionals where the priest has... Uh, the formula for the blessing at the beginning, the absolution, and then the uh, prayer at the end, 
which uh, um, is the priest uh, saying that whatever good works the person does may be used as penance for uh, the sins that they have committed. But in the Novus Ordo rite, there are in fact 88 different ways of uh, doing confession. So there's uh, two formulas to welcome the person. So it's not a blessing so that you may uh, that you may well confess your sins, but it's rather in the words of the ritual, which I don't have in front of me right now, but it's basically welcoming the person and inquiring about their circumstances and their life. Now, these are things which, which the priest may need to do. I know, for example, priests will say, well, when someone's going to confession for the first time, uh, it, it's important to put them at, at, at their ease. You can't, right. uh, they don't know what to do. They've never been in a confessional before, so you're going to need to put them at their ease. But this is sort of a change in emphasis. And then there's a whole slew of scripture passages which can be used, uh, eight or nine different formulas of uh, active contrition, which may be used, some of which are more clear than others, and then uh, various other formulas. And the actual formula, the, the precise formula in the traditional rite says, may the Lord Jesus Christ absolve you, and I absolve you, from any pain of excommunication, suspension, or interdict, insofar as you have need and I am able, and then I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In the new form, it's uh, effectively does not mention anything to do with the, the censures of excommunication or suspension, because if, if somebody, let's say, were actually excommunicated, they can't receive the sacrament of penance. They need to be, first of all, uh, absolved from their excommunication, which is a man-made penalty, uh, uh, sort of a, a, a penal law, as it were, before the, the actual stain of sin can be removed. Okay, there's no mention of that. And it says that God, through the ministry of the church, uh, is is going to grant you peace. That's true. Uh, it's through the ministry of the church. But again, it's the that's something that Protestants can accept. They can say, well, you know, confession is not a man giving absolution, it's, you know, the faith of the church uh, showing that anybody who is, who is uh, sorrowful for his sins, regrets his sins, uh, will be forgiven because of that faith uh, expressed by the church. So it's, it's a way of ambiguity. And that has also been shown in the, the, the place where confession is uh, given. Now, I'm, I'm generalizing in all of this, uh, Andrew, because, you know, there are once again priests and churches where there is a sort of a traditional view of the sacrament of penance. And I've had this from, uh, from, from many people who, who tell me, you know, that such, such, and, su such and such a priest, uh, so-and-so, you know, he's got a, he's got a principle, uh, he's got a, a view, rather, of confession, which is very traditional. And there's a, there is a confessional, and uh, he, uh, he insists that you confess your sins, and then he may even use uh, some of the formulas from the traditional ritual. Uh, I'm not sure if that's allowed anymore, but right. uh, but he may do that. Just like exorcists uh, who actually are exorcising uh, possessed people do actually use the traditional ritual, even though that's not really technically allowed. Um, so so I'm generalizing. But let's say, okay, general way that confession is developed is first of all, it's moved away from the confessional. So a confessional, for those who may not have, not have ever seen a confessional, it's not a scary place. 
perhaps when you're when you're a child uh, for the first time, you know, you might need to go in before your confession. And I know teachers do this and parents do this. Right. Okay, we're going to just have a look at the confessional. Uh, on a nice sunny day where you can see everything. Priest sits here. Uh, you go around this side. You kneel down. Nothing to be afraid of. There's a grill between you and the priest. What that grill does is it gives you anonymity. Uh, the priest does not need to know who you are, and he may not inquire who you are. Uh, he may he may pose questions relevant to, to the confession. For example, if you go to confession, and uh, let's say you confess, um, you know, disobedience. Well, he could well ask you, well, you know, is that disobedience towards your parents or perhaps towards your boss or towards uh, the Pope? In other words, are you are you a child? Are you married? What, what is your state in life? Okay, right. he can ask those questions, but he can't ask you your name. And the fact is that he can't see you, which makes it much easier for you to confess your sins because, you know, when you're looking into somebody's face and you have to... Uh, you have to confess perhaps, you know, sins which which may be big sins, maybe, you know, very shameful sins. He's not looking at you. He's listening to you. The church says a priest can hear men's confessions outside of a confessional, uh, but he must hear the confession of women and girls inside a confessional. Why is that? It's not because there's uh, there's a presumption on the part of the church that, you know, the, this, this hidden uh, discreet place is going to be used for something bad. But it's because nobody could suggest that it's being used for something bad because it's out in the open and there's a physical separation between the right. priest and the penitent. And so it's obvious to everybody that this is uh, the way that, that things are. Uh, in a different life, uh, before I went to the seminary, I was a civil servant in, uh, in Dublin. And uh, there, were, there were the relics of various rules from the Catholic past in the civil service. And one of the rules was, for example, that if you were to pursue a religious vocation, uh, that you got 12 years to come back if you wanted to. So if your religious vocation didn't work out, you could come back, get your job back, because the government was actually encouraging people to try out religious vocations. And another one was, it was forbidden for a man and a woman to be alone in an office without the door being opened. In other words... Uh, why, why is that? Are we expecting that, uh, that there's, you know, something strange going on? Not at all. It's prudence. It's, well, if the door is open, then it's obvious to everybody that everything's perfectly normal. Now, this rule, of course, was done away with, and then we arrive, you know, 15, 20 years later, and, uh, okay, well, it's, it's you know, uh, you can't trust any men, etc., etc., etc. These are things which, which the church has known in a correct way, which is that you can trust men, but you should also have uh, certain things in place whereby um, there's openness and there's uh, a culture where there's no sort of promiscuity, let's say, between men and women. Right. And, uh, right. th okay, that's one element of the confessional. You go into your, your, uh, your Novus Ordo confessional insofar as it, this has happened, and it's happened in a lot of places, but not in all places, is you've replaced the confession, uh, confessional with a reconciliation room. So yep. this is often uh, simply two chairs facing each other uh, in a room. And usually it is, again, from a, from a perspective of, uh, of um, you know, prudence, you usually, you know, you can see into the room, which maybe is not the best thing for somebody who's going to confess his sins, that people can look into this aquarium and see him uh, confessing his sins. And you sit down 
and you you tell your your sins to the priest. I remember that was one of the ways that uh, we would go to confession at school is that the priest was in a room and was sitting on a comfy chair and you sit on a comfy chair opposite him. You're a 12-year-old boy and then you have to you sit down, look at him and confess your sins. Not very psychological. Uh, no. the, the, the best way to do that is to actually kneel because you are confessing your sins to God, not telling him, I did these things and I'm happy. It's, I did these things and I regret them and I'm sorry I ask for mercy. Uh, the classic way of... Uh, of posture for asking for mercy is to kneel down before God. Um, also, the individual sacrament of confession has often been replaced by sort of reconciliation services. Okay, and the idea here is that uh, penance becomes a sort of a communal celebration. Uh, for example, Christmas, Easter. Uh, you know, there's a time set, let's say a couple of hours, where Maybe there'll be four or five priests and then everybody's supposed to come and then there will be certain gospel readings, etc. And then people will go and individually uh, say their, their sins. In tandem with that, times for individual confessions are, have largely been done away with. Now, once again, there are churches and there are priests who do have these times, but largely it, it has been done away with. Uh, if you want to go to confession, you have to make an appointment with the priest. There's no, let's say, set time where uh, anybody can go and confess his sins. What that has brought about is the idea that you don't need to go to confession as soon as possible when you commit a mortal sin. Right. Whereas, in fact, uh, if someone does commit a mortal sin, uh, the correct thing for him to do is not to despair, and not to say, well, you know, I've committed one mortal sin now, so what's the point? It is get down on your knees, make an act of contrition, and say, I'm going to go to confession as soon as I can. Uh, maybe Father is available for hearing confessions tomorrow at 6.30 before rosary. I'm going to go. Uh, or maybe it's at the weekend. Father hears confessions for half an hour or three quarters of an hour before Mass. I'm going to be there. Or else, in the new way of doing it is, well, you don't go to confession except once or twice a year. Um, and you do that as a sort of a, of a communal uh, thing. Again, very much uh, opening the interpretation of the sacrament up to a modernist idea, which is faith community expressing their faith. Yes, we are sinners. We sometimes do things which we shouldn't do. And so we are sorry. But it's not the individual guilt on the soul, which I must put... Uh, under the blood of Christ uh, to be washed by his blood so that I can once again resume the path uh, towards heaven. And right. uh, this, I mean, again, you, you may have seen this, Andrew, or you certainly may have heard of it, but go to a traditional church and you, you have lots of confessions. Uh, you have in general, you know, let's say you've got, I don't know, church of maybe 100 people. You're going to be hearing confessions for an hour before mass on a Sunday. You've got a church of maybe, uh, you know, three or four hundred people. You're probably looking at three or four hours of confession every Sunday and a few hours during the week. Um, right. I, I know, I've never actually visited St. Mary's myself, but understand that there's, you know, there's lots of confessions. There's a big parish and yeah. the priests are available pretty much every day for some hours for confession. Maybe you can confirm that, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's no, the case. True. It's funny, though, Father, the, the, the communal aspect you know, we just finished looking at baptism, episode four. We were talking about the new the new rite of baptism. There's that whole communal 
uh, community aspect. The community welcomes you. Same thing with what you're saying here with the sacrament of penance. The other thing that reminds me of, of baptism is when you're talking about there's not this, you know, come whenever you need to, to, mm. uh, to confess your sins. It's let's wait for this time and place. Now, the church is not saying that you shouldn't go right away. Mm-hmm. They've never, to, to my knowledge, Father, they've never come out and said, don't go to confession, wait for this time. But by setting up these set times for confession, when the whole community comes and does it, it's sort of the same thing as baptism, where the right, the new rite of baptism says, as many people as possible should come for the baptism. The, the parents should be there. The family should be there. The friends, the community. They're not saying don't get your baby baptized right away, but they're also, you know, there's this, there's this blurring of lines of the importance of doing the sacrament right away, both in baptism and in penance. Right. Which is a, a subtle change in emphasis. Yes. Uh, you can't say that it's wrong for, for, you know, lots of people to come together for the baptism, but right. the subtle change in emphasis is that, well, you know, it's not that we need to have the child baptized relatively soon because if god forbid the child were to die uh, the child would not be able to go to heaven the child would go to limbo uh, without baptism uh, whereas now the idea is well you know everybody's going to heaven and uh, you know god is not going to stop a child going to heaven which is in fact really based on a misunderstanding of what heaven is you ask people who say well uh, i can't believe that god would send an unbaptized child to limbo and i said to him well what's your idea of heaven oh heaven is a happy place where you know things are things are good you know there's no suffering etc well that's limbo okay so don't worry the child is going to to this place of natural happiness don't worry anymore what is heaven is a place of supernatural happiness because there we have the beatific vision which is the vision of god but of course that's that's something which is above our nature. That's why it's called supernatural. It's it's a lack of, of understanding of the catechism, for which I do not blame people, for which I do blame uh, the bishops and, uh, to a lesser extent, the priests. Uh, lesser extent, the priests, because, of course, it's the bishops who are the teaching church, it's the priests who are their assistants, and who do, in fact, follow the lead of the bishops. And Pope Pius X, in his, uh, in his uh, I think his first encyclical, said, the greatest difficulty which is facing us is lack of instruction in the faith. And uh, that's, that's really what it is. When you, when you have that uh, clear instruction in the faith, which comes from the catechism removed, then you get a mixture of half notions and uh, sort of unclear things and some superstition, and it's all coming together, and you lose uh, that uh, clear path which the faith shines upon us. And I think that's what uh, what you're referring to there, Andrew, when you're saying, well, instead of a clear understanding, your child should be baptized as soon as practicable, certainly not any later than, than a month. The church actually, uh, and in many places, the church says, okay, after a month, uh, parents could be looking at serious sin if they've delayed unnecessarily. Depends on the circumstances. Maybe there are reasons why the child's in great health and the priest is not visiting for another six weeks. You know, maybe that's that's okay. Um, but then it's, no, let's wait six months until uh, the child, uh, you know, has uh, has started to grow his first beard. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let, let's do it at that stage so we can have a community celebration. 
Um, it's a similar idea with with that change in the sacrament of penance. Yeah, and uh, the the sort of <clears throat> going hand in hand with that is a growing tendency as well to uh, general absolution. Okay, so difference between general absolution and what's called an individual confession or uh, auricular confession, confession into the ear of the priest, is that a general absolution is when you get a whole group of people together and you, the priest simply says, I absolve you from your sins. Now, that can be valid if there is a grave necessity. Uh, for example, uh, you are, let's say, in a, you're in an aeroplane, and I always get nervous when I'm in an aeroplane and there's another priest on the aeroplane because then I know that uh, I too can receive absolution. Therefore, God may, in his mercy, be providentially setting me up to be able to receive uh, the last sacraments before I die. If I'm on my own, then I can give the uh, sacrament to everybody else, but I can't give it to myself. So uh, right. <laughs> in any case, uh, you're in an aeroplane. And let's say the aeroplane is looks like it's uh, it's a goner. And the priest uh, stands up and he says, okay, for all those who are baptized, well, those who are not baptized, uh, you must believe in, uh, in God and the Blessed Trinity and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, repent of your sins. Uh, we got time to baptize. I got some bottles of water here. Uh, for those who are already baptized, uh, I absolve you from your sins. That's all you need. You don't have time to hear confessions. Okay, that's perfectly legitimate. However, if there's no reason for that, um, then for the priest to say, okay, I absolve you from all your sins, is you're actually getting rid of the matter of confession, which is the, the confession of sins. And you need that confession of sins, except if there is an impossibility, either physical or moral. And uh, this is a growing tendency, which again, lessens the, uh, the understanding of the general man in the pew about confession. And I say the man in the pew, but of course, there aren't very many men in the pew. And there's uh, probably a few more women, but not very many either. And certainly a lot of young people never go to confession. They never go to confession. But if the time comes for them to go to mass, uh, either at a marriage or at a funeral, everybody goes to Holy Communion. Now, yes. I'm not making any judgment on the soul of another person. But I do know that if you're not frequenting uh, the sacraments, you're not going to Mass on Sundays, then objectively you have committed a mortal sin. Now, they may not know that because nobody ever told them, um, but there are in the world in which we live, which is uh, pagan in general, uh, which has sort of uh, returned to all of the uh, preoccupations of paganism, such as the seven deadly sins, um, one of my confreres, uh, whom you've interviewed, Father McGillivray, was uh, telling me last week about the seven deadly sins are uh, murdered by seven internet companies. So you've got pride, uh, that's LinkedIn, covetousness, that's Amazon, uh, lust is uh, Tinder, uh, anger is Twitter, uh, gluttony is one of these delivery uh, food things. Uh, envy is uh, Instagram, Facebook, and sloth is uh, Netflix. Uh, there's a certain <laughs> truth in that. It's that our whole our yeah. whole culture is um, very much focused on the, let's say, immediate pleasures, immediate gratification, or if you go beyond that, to perhaps to a delayed gratification, but not much more than that. 
Now, we are living in this culture, and many Catholics are not praying, uh, not forgetting the sacraments. Chances are we fall it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty good uh, thing to, to assume. Go to confession. No, it's not, it doesn't come to their idea because it's, right. it just disappeared from their idea. And so uh, the tragedy, real tragedy of the Novus Ordo springtime is that the faith and the life of the faith and those means which uh, ease our way towards heaven have disappeared for the vast majority of Catholics. And so they're left without, uh, without a compass and without a means of saving their souls. And God is very, very merciful, and so He can uh, He can operate He can operate His grace. Perhaps you know when a time comes to death, and I, I've seen this so many times as a priest. Is you know people come out of nowhere. Uh, you're visiting a hospital to visit somebody, and then out of nowhere somebody else shows up. Uh, one of my colleagues here in Quebec was uh, given permission to to visit a dying person last week. And, uh, you know, it was, it was quite, quite something because it, it's very dangerous here in Quebec for anybody to visit a hospital. Um, and then when he was in there, you know, he got left alone for a second. And next thing is he was around the corner uh, ministering to another person who needed the sacraments. So God, yeah. you know, God works uh, things out. To those who do what is within them, God does not deny grace. And so that's why we have to, as Our Lady Fatima said, pray the rosary for sinners because they're going to go to hell, you know, in the current circumstances, in the world in which we live, and in the, the, great, uh, the great crisis within the church where the means of sanctification have been effectively withdrawn in many circumstances. How are they going to save their souls? We need to pray. We need to do sacrifices. God can do it and bring them to him before they die, because that's all that matters, really. Right. Well, it's striking, Father... Um you saying Pope St. Pius X recognized that the, one of the greatest difficulties facing the church, and this was more than a hundred years ago, was the lack of catechesis. And as we've seen through the crisis series and now going through the sacrament series, the lack of, of knowledge of the majority of Catholics throughout the world, they don't have it. They don't have that catechism. They don't have a basic understanding, like you said, from your own experiences of your classmates. And it's undoubtedly gotten worse now. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do have that experience of, um, of undergoing the, the Novus Ordo Catechesis myself as, as a boy and as an adolescent. And uh, I would say maybe on maybe four or five days of those 13 years, you know, the teacher who may have been, um, you know, an older person, because of course, the, they, they were formed in the traditional uh, traditional. Uh, faith, and so they may come out with a, with a gem. You know, uh, um, I remember uh, one of our teachers at, at high school. who was just teaching us for a few days as a replacement, and he uh, put the thought of the idea into our head. Very simple: Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is all mankind. Okay, that's what the Catechism says. I said, "Well, that's mm -hmm. that's a good thing to learn." But uh, uh, snappy, it's true, and this is how you love your neighbor. It's not by uh, picking and choosing. There is an order in charity for sure, but I need to have charity for all mankind. Great. But most of the time, in fact, all of the time almost, it was just nothing. It was just uh, in, in, in primary school, it was, you know, caricatures almost of the, of the faith, uh, sort of a, a, a dumbing down of, of everything, uh, some stories from the gospel, 
but really not an awful lot that you could uh, you could actually say, oh yeah, that that that's how it works. This is this makes sense. I need to I need to do this. I need to live my life like this. And so effectively, then what happens? Well, there is no faith being passed on. And whose fault is that? It's the bishop's fault, and mm-hmm. it's the it's the pope's fault uh, because he's the he's the head of the visible head of the church. Uh, you know, obviously, when I say it's the pope's fault, obviously, clearly the pope. Uh, if he's a, if he's trying to uh, do his job properly, there's all there may always be those under him who do not do what he says. Right. But what the Pope should be doing is saying, okay, like Pope Saint Pius X, uh, catechesis, uh, knowledge of the true faith. This is what we're going to do. We're going to uh, preach the faith. We're going to uh, we're going to teach catechism every Sunday and Holy Day. Uh, you might remember the story from the life of Saint Pius X. When he was a bishop in Mantua, visiting uh, one of his parishes, time for catechism came up, priest is having a siesta back in his house. Now, of course, in warm Italian weather, you can understand why somebody would want to have a siesta. But you should be doing catechism. So he rings the bell, and he gets up into the pulpit, the bishop does, and he starts preaching catechism. And the priest uh, hears the bell and arrives over, who's this in my pulpit? Oh, it's the bishop. And uh, uh, Bishop Sarto didn't, uh, he didn't give him a lecture. There's nothing more to say. It's, hey, there's nothing more important than preaching the faith, teaching the catechism. And I think that's a great lesson for Catholic parents. Um, it is that today, more than ever, your children need to know the faith. And when they're, let's say, you know, they're younger children, um, until they become adolescents, then that's, you know, fairly simple as it's always been. You learn the catechism off by heart. Why do you learn the catechism off by heart? It's because you can't rely on Google to give you the catechism. That's why. And when you learn something off by heart, at that age, it stays with you for life. And it feeds you. And if, like uh, has happened long times in the history of the church, you get locked up in prison, uh, you can feed yourself by reciting the catechism in your mind and by reciting it to perhaps your fellow prisoners. I'm not saying that's right. going to happen, but it could, because it's happened a lot of times in the history of the church. And then as adolescents, it's a deep understanding of the faith. So we send our kids to high schools, and they get into you know mathematics that I couldn't even begin to understand. And uh, we send them, and they get into physics and chemistry. Great stuff. Not a problem. And then when it comes to religion, you know, uh, well, that's not, you know, that's not important. We'll do a little bit here, there. Nope. You need to give it to them uh, meaty stuff uh, based on the teachings of St. Thomas, based on the uh, teachings of the church, reading uh, books and give them a true understanding. So not only can they uh, understand themselves, the faith, understanding as best as humans can under the light of God, uh, but also to defend the faith. Uh, when I was a school principal, we used to do this thing at the end of each year, the graduates in grade 12, myself and the other priests would temporarily don the masks of atheists, and we would uh, we would uh, pretend to be atheists for a couple of hours, and it was up to the students who were about to graduate to uh, demask our uh, fallacies and to... Uh, show that these atheists, in fact, were not really uh, telling the truth at all. And it was, it was good because it, uh, it showed the idea to all of the students that, you know, when you leave school, you've got to be able to give a reason for the faith which is within you. And that's the, 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 uh, the role of parents to insist 
and to make it possible that not only they have the knowledge of the faith, but beyond that today, the ability to defend and to vindicate the faith. Absolutely. Father, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for going through this with us. Um, like you said, still valid, but there's so much that's missing. And, and that emphasis is just... Right. Just a quick caveat on that, uh, Andrew, which is that yeah. still valid. Some priests do not say the words, I absolve you from your sins. Okay. Ah. So that I've, I've had many cases of people coming to me and saying, well, uh, the priest said your, your, uh, your sins are forgiven. Uh, well, that's, that's at, at the very least, that's doubtful. Uh, the, right. the moral theology, sacramental theology tells us the priest has the power to forgive sins. He must at the very least say these words, I absolve you from your sins. So, okay. uh, so that's why in, in itself valid. And, uh, you know, people should not start becoming scrupulous and saying, oh my goodness, were all my Novus Ordo confessions right. valid? You know, maybe if you're finding tradition, you've got an opportunity at some stage to make a retreat, make a general confession, fine, but don't worry in the meantime. Um, okay. God also sees that maybe many of the things which you're looking back now and you're saying, oh my goodness, that was a sin. Oh, I was receiving communion in the hand. Um, I was standing for communion. Uh, I was, uh, you know, not going to Mass on Sundays. God sees your heart. If genuinely you didn't know and it wasn't any fault of yours, you know, look, at just leave it all in God's hands and thank him for leading you to, to tradition, to the uh, clear understanding of the faith and the sacraments of all time. Father, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, Andrew. God bless. All right, you too.